Welcome back to Practicing Catholic. Patrick Conley, glad to be with you again, along with Cammie Berthume, our producer, Paul Sodic, our technical producer, coming to you from the Relevant Radio 1330 AM studios in Golden Valley. When talking about hospice care, we may all know a loved one who has experienced end-of-life care in this way, or maybe we've just heard the term before. Either way, thinking about death can be painful and unsettling, and honestly a bit confusing when we're in the position to make those tough decisions for a family member. Here to explain a bit about hospice care and the dignity of life is Judith Oberhauser, staff chaplain at Our Lady of Peace Hospice Care in St. Paul. Judith, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. It's wonderful to have you with us. So what types of care are offered at Our Lady of Peace? Well, Our Lady of Peace is a hospice home, and it was founded by the Dominican Sisters of St. Rose of Hawthorne 80 years ago, and then it was a cancer home only. But it did become certified, I think it was seven years ago, and now we are Medicare qualified to take care of terminally ill patients of all types of medical backgrounds. So it's no longer just a cancer home. And we have 21 beds for patients who are in the last few weeks of their lives. There is no cost for care. And we serve people of every faith and no faith and every culture and every race. Mm, Wow. And Our Lady of Peace also is a program that extends to the community. And that is also a hospice program, and the offices are right here at this home. And it is also staffed by highly qualified nurses and social workers, chaplains, aides. And we visit people in their homes or in the facilities in this St. Paul, Minneapolis area. And then preceding this care, we also offer home care for those people who are in need of nursing care but are not yet ready for hospice, and that is through the Highland Block Nurse Program. Mm -hmm. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah, (laughs) wonderful. Thank you, Judith. So now my understanding just of hospice care is that it's specifically just focusing on the quality of life for people and their caregivers experiencing an advanced illness or they are they are nearing death. Is that a, a generally a good definition? Yes. Um, doctors are required to um, refer people to patients yeah. uh, to hospice, hospice care. care. So it would normally be um, prognosis of six months or so of life left. So there is a doctor's requirement for people to admit to be admitted to the hospice program. But clearly it's not just about uh, medication and physical needs at the time of end of life, but it's also based on what you were just talking about with, at Our Lady of Peace. It's also addressing emotional, psychological, familial, oh, spiritual absolutely, needs. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Can you talk a little we bit more about that? We walk with patients. Yeah. We walk with patients. Where, and they all come from different backgrounds, and they've all had the roughing up of life, and they have, many have had many adverse experiences and tragedies and mishaps, and they may have a very poor self-image. They may feel damaged and disoriented, but within each of these people is is God, is that holy energy we call God, and we look at each person as sacred, and we work with their whole being, their body, their soul, their emotions, their social background, their spiritual thirsts and longings, and we don't, they lead us. We don't, you know, 
tell them what to do. They tell us what they want, how they want to have the, if they want spiritual care, then they get to choose what kind of spiritual care they want. So we, we're not there as um, imposing our views on them. Each person is sacred, and they have their own path, their own destiny, which we uh, respect. Well, and spe- then we... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, we do function to protect the dignity of their life, which I just referred to. They're, you know, we're all born as scrawny, screaming little infants, <laughs> but within us, this this call, this sacred thrust is alive, and we try to encourage that, support that. And hospice is also for the the family. There's one unit of care. It's called patient and family. So the families are included in the care we offer. And in the home, especially I think in every setting of hospice care, but especially here in the home, I see each person comes and they think they're in a hotel, in a resort even, because they say, oh, I get a spa treatment every day. And they do. They get a lovely spa. Each person has a special room and a suite or a suite, really, with their personal pictures and their sacred or special items surrounding them. And each person has a beautiful little nightie or a uh, shirt for the guys. And they're in, they're all selected in keeping with the person's tastes or preferences. And each person is on uh, has fresh sheets. Sometimes they're chosen too with the person the patient in mind as to what would give them, like there may be kitties on the sheets or dogs or flags or whatever was characteristic of each patient. And each patient is allowed to choose their menu. So they are, I think we respect the dignity of each person in subtle ways, yeah, in simple well, little ways. That's just but, what I was thinking as you were speaking there, Judith, that, that that's a, uh, that's, Exactly where we recognize the dignity is in the attention to these small little details that fit with, um, yeah, fits with the the preferences of the people who are there. I wanted to turn the page and ask a little bit about. Now, you were a cloistered contemplative nun for thirty years. Is that right? Yes. Wow. Yes, I was. So, so how has that? How did you get from that into hospice, being a staff chaplain in <laughs> hospice care? You know, you might need another. Hour. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, in five minutes or less, give me your entire life's history, right? No, um, <laughs> but I, I guess what I'm, what I really want to know is how did your time as a contemplative nun? How does that play into the the care that you're now giving to those who are near death? Thank you for asking that. I, I mean, that is a rich question, and I need to to reflect on that more, but when I entered the cloister and my thinking throughout that time, which was formed by theologians and mystics, their their idea of a contemplative life was to be a life in which the nun dies to this world and then lives with Christ or in Christ. It was very pronounced in our cloister, and that is the ideal. Of course, none of us you know, could do that 24-7. But the observance was designed to remind us of this. And, you know, there were the dramatic moments like solemn profession when you're bodily prostrate on the floor and they put a pall over you. 
And then all the, the enclosure, the vow of enclosure, the vow of absolute poverty, obedience, and chastity, they were all opportunities, I think, for us to rehear, hear again the call of Christ and to receive the cross of Christ. And I also add to that the kiss of Christ, because that was our life. It was the call, the cross, and the kiss. So part of us had already died, in at least to self, in yeah. renunciation. And yet part of us at the same time was found little glimpses of God and the glory of God alive in us. It was... It was this straddling, I think. I felt like I did straddle life and death a lot there. And was I dead or was I alive? I never knew. But I I think when I thought I was renouncing myself the most, there was also this energy, this spiritual energy, this joy, this even kind of spiritual glory. I can't quite describe it well, but... We had those moments simultaneous to the renunciations. And so I feel like I'm still claimed by this. And I was trying to think of an image, and it's sort of like the those patrol kids that stand on the street corners with those signs, yeah. stop and go. Yeah. And I felt like, I feel like now I can lift up that sign and say, go, it's okay to cross that street. It's beautiful. It's sacred. I know it. Part of me has known that there is that God is there with us, and I hope I never lose that. But that's what gives me comfort and peace and a sense of mission in helping other people face death. They may not have had that intense experience of God being with them in in their past life, but. I think I have had some of that. So I anticipate with them yeah. the joy that awaits them, uh-huh. even as I know it's a tough journey to let go of. But oh. there's also this idea of of leaving the world. We always talked about ourselves. We've left the world now. We've you know, left all things for Jesus. And so these people, all these people who are facing death, they too are leaving their world. They're letting go of all their that's special and sacred and life giving to them. And so I can be there with them, reassuring them that this is they're safe, they're going to a beautiful place. And I may trivialize heaven by saying it like that, because we none of us know what heaven contains for us, but I have that inner assurance that it's yeah. It's beautiful. I think that whole idea of anticipating with them uh, mm-hmm. is it's a tremendously it's a gift really that you you've been given and now I I do have to ask though if if uh, those of us who haven't been in the cloister for 30 years and we're but we're all going to face loved ones we have likely many of our listeners have already faced loved ones who have uh, you know they've come to the end of their earthly life and uh, they've been walking with them in that. I know I have. I know others of our listeners have as well. So I guess my question is, any bit of advice uh, that you would give for how can family members really, um, how can they enter into that? How can they anticipate with their loved ones who are facing the end of life? What can we do? That's a really good question. And and I think many 
many Christians, many, all people, they underestimate all those experiences in their lives when they have also died to themselves through experiences of pain or loss or suffering or just reality. They may lose a job, they may lose a child. All these things are harsh and horrible. But I would invite them to look back on those moments and to honestly assess when they let go finally, of that moment of pain, was there a blessing in there? Was there a a moment of grace that led them through? And to kind of ritualize that or dramatize it or, you know, lift it up so that they know there is hope in every aspect of life. I mean, I may have been chosen to go into the cloister because I needed it. I needed more formation. <laughs> I don't know why I was there. But I look out at the Christian and non-Christian people of our today's world. They are all giants. They are struggling through immense challenges in our society today. I encourage them to know that Jesus is with them every moment, moment, and the Spirit of God is guiding them. They are called to do greater things than what I did in a cloister or what others do. We're each uh, called by God and accompanied by God on this journey, and we just have to interpret those experiences, maybe through the help of a spiritual director or confessors or another person who loves us and sees, uh, we underestimate what we are going through right now, I think. Mm. Mm. Wonderful encouragement and words that, uh, yeah, I, I think the way that we can we can enter in in that way and uh, and encourage that Christ is always with us. And yeah, to, to a degree, I mean, I would never shortchange anything uh, about what you experienced in the cloister and how that is playing into what you're currently doing and the compassion that you are showing to others. But I love the phrase, the call, the cross, and the kiss of Christ, right? That that's, that that's all something that we can uh, participate in and that we can hopefully hand on to those loved ones who are near yes. to death. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Well, Judith, I feel like we have a lot more questions and a lot more ground we could cover, but unfortunately we're drawing near to the end of our time here. So uh, any ways that uh, people can connect with Our Lady of Peace? Oh, yes. We have, um, you know, you can call our number, which is 651-789-5030, and that will give you uh, the, you know, receptionist and and the hospice home um, the, hosp- the home hospice care staff, and they can direct any questions you have. So, and then we c- we're right located right on St. Anthony and Cleveland in St. Paul. It's right off 94. Hi, uh, I you know we're open 24 <laughs> seven. Although with COVID, we're not. Um, you know our visiting hours have stopped, uh, so we're not open at night okay. after 7:30. But we're we're there. Though family members, you know, when their patients, when their loved ones are dying, they are permitted to stay overnight. Mm, so nice. Okay. We have, uh, I, I think it's a very open door policy, and our greatest hallmark, I think, is our love and our care for for the people who are on this sacred journey, and we get to participate with them and walk with them. Amen. We also well, have wonderful volunteers 
serve with us, and they are such an example to me because they they touch people with pure love. And sometimes patients will even say, was that a real person or was that an angel that, well, that volunteered? Uh, seriously, I mean, that's kind of what we're called to do, right? We're called to be right. Christ to others. And I, certainly right. you have been that, Judith. I'm afraid we well, have to we say goodbye, have Judith. We four but... nuns here who oh. are Franciscan sisters, and they're witnesses. They are beautiful. They serve humbly, and they're friends of the residents, the patients, as well as the staff, and they give us wonderful example. Well, thank you, Judith. Thank you for sharing with us about Our Lady of Peace, and thank you for all that you do and give and continue to give. Thank you, Judith. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. For more information about Our Lady of Peace, you can visit their website, ourladyofpeacemn.org, for more information about their services. Your parishes may be covering their statues for Passion Tide, but Paul, Cammy, and I will be right back to uncover some local ways for you to grow in faith. More right after this.